Today we continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount. We've come to the fourth beatitude. By now you should be able to see the progression of the beatitudes that each one builds on the next. When Jesus began, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So it began with us recognizing our spiritual condition, that I am spiritually bankrupt, that I am in spiritual poverty. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn. That is my response to my condition. I am a spiritual beggar. I mourn as a result of it. And then, blessed are the meek. I am humble as a result of my condition. So Jesus begins the Beatitudes by pointing out for us our condition. And now when we come to the fourth Beatitude, he is speaking of a solution to our condition. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll begin in verse number 1, and our focus is verse number 6. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hunger is a diagnostic tool. It tells the doctor something about us. I went to see Dr. Reinhardt. He said to me, how's your appetite? I said, are you kidding me? But an appetite, hunger, is a diagnostic tool. Now, physically, most of us have a fairly effective physical appetite. That's the reason that we are always looking for a new diet. I am amazed at the books on the shelves and the programs on television that deal with diet. We have a good physical appetite, so we're always looking for a new diet. That's a reason that it's sometimes difficult to get into the Family Life Center because we have a good appetite. One woman said, I have a good appetite and the figure to prove it. So we have a good appetite. That says something. But man is a trichotomy. We are not just physical. We are a trichotomy. So if we have a good appetite physically, we should also have a good appetite intellectually. Friend, you should never stop learning. You should never stop being curious. You should always want to know more. One of the things that has always disturbed me is that for many people, it seems, once they get their degree, they feel that their learning is finished, that their study is finished. The problem we have, though, is that so much of what we dine on intellectually is junk food. Mark Twain said, the trouble with the world is not that people know too little, but they know so many things that ain't so. And it seems to me that the primary vending machine for things that ain't so is the Internet. I am amazed at some of the things you send me. And sometimes it will say, this has been checked out on Snopes. 
And I go to Snopes, and Snopes says it's not true. But so much of what we get on the, inter- on the Internet is things that ain't so. But we should have an intellectual appetite. We should want to know more. But man, is a trichotomy. You are also spiritual. Therefore, you should have a hunger for the things of God. There should be a desire within you to be closer to God, to know Him better. So an appetite then is an indication of health. If I have a physical appetite, it indicates that I might be healthy. If I have an intellectual appetite, it indicates that I might be healthy. If I have a spiritual appetite, I want to know more about God, then that would indicate that I am spiritually healthy. However, a lack of appetite indicates something is wrong. When one loses one's appetite, it's usually because that person is sick that I have an infection, that I'm not feeling well, that there's something not right within me. And so I lose my appetite as a result of it. Another reason some people lose their appetites physically is because of depression. There's a story in the Old Testament about uh, Ahab. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. But Naboth would not sell him or give him his vineyard. As a result of that, Ahab became depressed, and the Bible says that he would not eat. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 4, the Scripture says, So Ahab came into his house, sullen and vexed, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now look at this. This is the king. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and ate no food. You see, he had lost his appetite. If we lose our physical appetite, normally that is a sign that something is wrong. Maybe we're sick, maybe we're depressed, but that something is wrong. Did you know that's also true spiritually? Folks, when we have no spiritual appetite, then that is an indication something is wrong. There are two primary reasons why one does not have a spiritual appetite. One is because the person is spiritually dead. Have you noticed that dead people don't eat much? (laughs) If one is dead, then they have no appetite. The same thing is true spiritually. If you are spiritually dead... You have never been made alive in Jesus Christ, then you have no spiritual appetite. Friend, if I never hungered for the Word of God, if I never hungered for time in prayer, if I never had a desire to gather with God's people and worship, if I never had a hunger for the things of God, then I would be very concerned about my spiritual condition. One of the reasons that one does not have a spiritual appetite is that they are spiritually dead. But then there are some who are Christians, but their spiritual appetite is anemic. Probably there are many of you today, and you would say that I don't have much of a spiritual appetite. I know the Lord, but I don't have, a, I don't have a, uh, much of an appetite. Why is that? Well... It's because we become spiritually backslidden. You see, what happens to us is that we allow the world to come in and crowd out the things of God. 
Oftentimes what happens to us, even as the people of God, is that we lose our appetite because we have been dining on this junk food of the world rather than on the Word of God. And so we lose our appetite. That's exactly what happened to Demas. Paul was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10. He said, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Could that be a testimony of yours? That as time has gone by in my life, there was a time I committed my life to the Lord. I do know the Lord. But as time has gone by, I have dined more and more on the things of the world, and I have lost my spiritual appetite. That's what happens to us sometimes. Another reason we lose our spiritual appetite is that we become satisfied with ourselves as well. I'm all right, you know. I mean, I'm okay. I'm a Baptist for heaven's sake. I'm all right. I I don't need anything more. That's what happened to the church in Laodicea. The Scripture says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, speaking of the church of Laodicea, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, And have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Friend, there are some of you who know the Lord and you have lost your appetite. It is anemic, and the reason is because you have been backslidden, because the world has come into your life and choked out a hunger for the things of God, or because you have become satisfied with yourself as you are. Hunger is a diagnostic tool. It is also true spiritually. So I would encourage you to check your appetite. How are you doing spiritually? What is your spiritual appetite? How hungry are you concerning the things of God? Now, look again at verse number 6 because we're going to see what our appetite is for. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, Jesus in part here is emphasizing the depth of this appetite, the depth of this hunger. William Barclay wrote, A working man in Palestine ate meat only once a week. And in Palestine, the working man and day laborer were never far from the borderline of real hunger and actual starvation. So when Jesus is speaking here, I want you to understand, he is talking about a tremendous hunger. One commentator wrote, the hunger which this beatitude describes is not genteel hunger which could be satisfied with a mid-morning snack. He's not talking here about, a, you know, I'm sort of hungry, I ought to have a chip or two, something. He's talking about really being hungry, starving. Really being thirsty. And most of us have no idea spiritually what he's talking about here. You see, some of you guys play football. And you know how thirsty you get, especially during two days. You're out there, you're running, you're doing all that the coach wants you to do, and you are about to starve to death. You have to have a drink of something. That is what Jesus is conveying here. That kind of hunger, that kind of thirst. That I am really hungry for the things of God. That I'm really thirsty for the things of God. That's the kind of hunger and thirst he speaks of. Now, let me ask you. Do you have that kind of hunger and thirst, and if so, for what? What do you really hunger for? 
What do you really thirst for? I think that many would say, well, maybe happiness. Because I hear today all the time people, I, I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I've even had people tell me I'm getting a divorce because I think God wants me to be happy. I thought of that myself. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I don't, I don't know where that came from. But see, sometimes we think, well, I, I, I guess that's what I really hunger for. That's really what I thirst for. I want to be happy. But what does Jesus say in verse number 6? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Those people who have this tremendous hunger, this great thirst for what? For righteousness. And the Greek language gives some wonderful insight to this. Barclay said, it is a rule of Greek grammar that verbs of hungering and thirsting are followed by the genitive case. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means to be hungry and thirsty for a part of something. In other words, I want a piece of pie. I want a glass of water. But it's a hunger, it is a thirst for a part of something. Barclay continues, but in this beatitude, most unusually, righteousness is in the direct accusative and not in the normal genitive. So what does that mean? When Jesus says that we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, what does that mean? Well, it means that I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the whole pie. It means I I don't want a glass of water. I want the pitcher. It means for the... So when Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, He is saying, blessed is the one who has a hunger for total righteousness. Blessed is the one who has a thirst for total righteousness. Not just a part, but all of it. You see, one may be a good moral person, but care nothing about justice, that's partial righteous. One might be compassionate, but care nothing about morality. That is a hunger for partial righteousness. Jesus said, blessed is the person. Blessed is that man. Blessed is that woman who wants total righteousness. Not just a piece of the pie. The whole pie. Not just a glass of water, the pitcher of water. Not just a little bit of righteousness, but total righteousness. Blessed is the one who desires total righteousness. Now, what's the promise? Again, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What will happen? For they shall be, what? They shall be satisfied. Well, we long for that, don't we? Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Are you satisfied in life? You know, when we become believers, we come to Christ, we are immediately satisfied in that I am forgiven of my sin. 
The Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus where he met the Lord and Jesus changed his life, saved him. He was immediately satisfied because he was forgiven. When we come to Jesus Christ, my friend, we are immediately satisfied because we are forgiven of our sins. And that is, that is, that is so powerful. That is so, and I want you to understand that, that when you come to Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. The Bible says they are removed as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. So when we come to Christ, we are satisfied because we are immediately forgiven. We immediately receive His peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. When we come to Jesus Christ, He gives us peace, not like the world gives to us, but He gives us true peace. He gives us hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you see, when we come to Christ, he, said, he says that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. So we are immediately satisfied when we come to Jesus because our sins are forgiven. He gives us His peace and He gives us hope. But we are also progressively satisfied. Immediately satisfied, progressively satisfied. The word that is used there is an agriculture word, and uh, I sort of like that. I grew up on a farm. Some of you grew up on the farm, and so I sort of like it whenever they have farm words there, and that's one of them. It would be a word that is used to refer to fattening out an animal. Now, if you grew up on a farm, you probably know what that means because you get a little calf and, and you give it food every day, every day. And, you know, you just every day you feed the thing. And the next thing you know, one day you look up and it's, it's grown a little bit at a time. Well, that's what it means. So we are immediately satisfied when we come to Christ, but it also is to be progressively satisfied. We become more satisfied as time goes on. Now, that's... That's true in marriage. When uh, Linda and I got married, and you're, I tried for years to improve her. I mean, there were so, there were so many areas that she needed to make improvement. <laughs> and I tried my best to improve her, to, to make her better. But you know what? A little bit of time, as time went on, I'm satisfied with her. She hadn't changed. I told her last week, I said, you know, Lynn, I got to thinking about it. And uh, if something happened to you, I could never get anyone else because you've totally ruined me. <laughs> I mean, I am so satisfied with her that I, could, I cannot imagine ever having anyone but her. But that's, that's the way that it works, as I understand it, that we are progressively satisfied. And that's true in marriage. That's true in ministry. When I came here, I thought y'all were a little strange. <laughs> but as time went by, I can't imagine being anywhere else. I just love you and thank the Lord for you and enjoy you so much. But do you see how that works? I mean, we are progressively satisfied in our relationships with the Lord. 
Whenever I first came to know the Lord, there was so much that I didn't know. I don't know a lot now. But as time has gone by, I am so pleased with the Lord. As Margaret Garrett often sings, the longer I serve Him, the sweeter it grows. That's true. We're progressively satisfied. Oh, if I could just somehow get you young people to understand. You give your life to Jesus and you live for Jesus. And it gets better and better and better. And more and more satisfaction in your life. You want to be satisfied with life? The Christian life brings satisfaction. So we are progressively satisfied. But then we are eternally satisfied. Now, I don't know all that heaven holds, but I know that we're going to be satisfied there. The Bible describes it in Revelation 21, verse 4, and He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Can can you imagine that when we get to heaven as the Bible describes it? It says there are no more tears. There are some of you who have shed so many tears. But there, there are no more tears. There's no more death. Some of you have lost your spouses. You've lost your children. You've lost your parents. But the Bible says there, there is no more death. Death is gone. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. When we come to Jesus and live for Jesus, my friend, we are immediately satisfied because He forgives us of our sin. We are progressively satisfied because it just gets better and better and better. And we will be eternally satisfied when the Lord takes us home. But, here's the paradox, we're satisfied, but never satisfied. Let me explain it this way. As you already know, I, I like coconut pie. Do, don't tell my doctor that, but I like coconut pie. And um, sometimes someone will give a coconut pie, because Linda doesn't make coconut pies, but someone will give one. And I'll eat a piece of that coconut pie, and I said, I am so satisfied. I think, I am just content. I'll never want coconut pie again. And about two hours later, I'm ready for another piece of coconut pie. (laughs) But see, that's the way it is spiritually. That's the way that it is with the Lord. We are satisfied with the Lord, and yet we're just never quite satisfied. Isn't that right? I mean, we're never quite satisfied. You you can think of Moses. I think of the great experiences that Moses had when he saw the burning bush that was not consumed. Can you imagine seeing that? A, A bush that's burning and you watch it and it's not consumed. He saw that. And then on top of that, he, he, he saw the Red Sea as it was parted and the Hebrews go across on dry land. When they were in the wilderness, the Lord provided for them. He provided manna for them. I read about those experiences of Moses and all that he saw and so forth, and I think, you know, Moses, you can never ask for anything more, could you? I mean, you've just about seen it all. You saw the miracles of the Lord. You saw the burning bush. You've seen it all. You can never ask for anything more. You're totally satisfied. And yet Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. Satisfied but not satisfied. David, think of David. 
The things that David experienced in life. He killed the Goliath. Here's this little boy. He takes his rocks and he kills this great giant. He wrote the Psalms. He had all those experiences with the Lord. So you look at David and you think, David, all of these experiences that you have had with the Lord, surely you could never want more. You could never ask for anything more. But Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for thee, O God. David was satisfied and yet not satisfied. What about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul had a vision of Jesus. He was on the road to Damascus and he saw the Lord. And then he was caught up into the third heaven. And he saw all those things and you think, Paul, you've seen it all. You've experienced it all. You could never wish for anything more. And yet in Philippians 3.10 he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see the way that is? And I think that you would concur with Jesus, you're satisfied with Him, and yet you're never satisfied. Lord, I want more of You. I want to know You better. I want to know Your power. I want to know Your heart. Satisfied, but never satisfied. Well, let's diagnose our appetite real quickly. What satisfied you? Are you satisfied with yourself? I mean, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied. I've been a Christian. I've got all the Sunday school pens. I've been to the study courses. I've done all those things. I am satisfied. Are you satisfied with you? The Puritan said he has the most need of righteousness who least wants it. The possessions satisfy you? Are you satisfied with your possessions? I mean, I have a good retirement account. I have money in the bank. I have a nice car to drive. The clothes that I wear, the house I live in, the position that I have, do those things satisfy you? Is that what brings satisfaction to you? What satisfies you? Or is it the things of God? It is God who satisfies. Does God satisfy you? Let me conclude. We want to be satisfied. We want to live a life of satisfaction. Let me say several things to you very quickly. Number one, supply begins with demand. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. Number two, the supply continues as long as the demand. As long as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, God will give it to you. Number three, the supply is proportionate to your demand. In other words, you have all of God you want. Number four, supply is the same nature as the demand. You have what you want. Next, the supply satisfies, but it never quenches. We're satisfied with Jesus, but we're never quenched. You see, the Beatitudes, and this is the thing on, as I see it in here, it reveals to us our condition. We're spiritually poor, which means a beggar. So I see myself as I am. Blessed is the poor in spirit. I see myself as I am. I'm a spiritual beggar. And then I mourn as a result of it. Blessed are those who mourn. I mourn because of my condition. And then blessed are the meek, the gentle. I'm humbled as a result of it. That's my condition. 
And here is the solution. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My friend, if you want satisfaction in life, you'll not find it at the bank. You'll not find it at the bar. You'll find it in Jesus. Do you know him? Our Father and God, we come to a time when your spirit ex- examines our hearts. Lord, that we ask ourselves the question what we are satisfied with. And I pray, Father, for those today who say, I want to trust Jesus as my Lord, as my satisfaction. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will bless this time as you draw people unto yourself. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand and extend a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Jesus today, I encourage you to commit your life to Him. Commit your life to Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The choir sings as they sing, You Come, I'll greet you as you do.